0: The Lord be with you. Welcome back to Home Worship again this week. It's great to be back with you, and I'm so grateful that you have set aside the time to join us in this too. If you've stumbled across us on YouTube, make sure to like and subscribe if you're blessed by this. And if you're jumping in right to the sermon, I want to invite you to pause and go to wycoffreformed.org home worship and take about 15 minutes to go through the home worship liturgy we have there, and then come back and join us for this sermon. Liturgy is one of those Christian-y words that uh, we don't like and don't often understand, but it comes from the Latin word liturgia, and it means the work of the people. Liturgy isn't the name for a formalized and outdated order of our worship, Liturgy is our work together, blessing and praising God, turning back to God and saying, I'm sorry, and hearing again of the amazing grace of God in Jesus Christ. And what I love about what we've been able to do over these last few months in home worship is that we've really been able to lean into the fact that all of that work is ours It's not something I'm doing up here. It's not something Sam and Greg do up here that everyone else simply observes or consumes. It's not about something that happens up front that you try to get something out of. This is our work. This is something we all do together. And so I hope that you've been as blessed as I have by having the opportunity in this season to be fully engaged and fully participating in all of the work of worship. Now, though, it's time to turn and, and hear from Scripture. We return again and again to this book because we believe it's not just an old book. It's not just a collection of religious writings from past millennia handed down to us. We return because we continue to find something else here, someone else here, because we continue to find in these pages the voice of God speaking to us, something active and alive. We continue to find Jesus. And so as we turn to hear the psalm for this week, Psalm 84, I want to invite you To lift up your hearts with me in prayer that God would speak through these words to us. Let's pray. Lord, the psalmist says it's in your light that we see light. And so, Lord, we ask that you would shine upon us now, that you would illumine these words and open our ears and minds and hearts to see and to hear you more clearly that these words may be a light to our path. So, Lord, guide us now, speak to us, and then send us out into the world to be faithful to what we have seen and heard. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Do whatever you need to do to listen well to these words from the book that breathes life. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts, my soul longs. Indeed, it faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young. At your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God, happy are those ...who live in your house, ever singing your praise. Happy are those in whose strength, whose strength is in you. In whose heart are the highways of Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength... The God of gods will be seen in Zion. O Lord, God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God, and look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than live in the tents of the wicked. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. He bestows favor and honor. No good thing does the Lord withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, happy is everyone who trusts in you. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Psalm 84 is a a pilgrim psalm. Not unlike Psalms 120 through 134, the the Psalms of Ascent sung as the pilgrims made their way up into Jerusalem for the various pilgrim festivals where they would come to the temple to worship. And in this psalm, we hear of this deep desire to be in God's dwelling place, in the temple in Zion in Jerusalem. They yearn, they faint with desire to be in God's presence. Their their whole self longs, body, heart, soul. They are even seemingly jealous of the birds that get to make their nests in the temple courts and so live in God's presence, 24-7, 365, ever singing praises to God. Blessed are they, the psalmist sings. But this is a pilgrim psalm. It's not just about being in the temple. They're not there yet. They're on their journey. This desire to be there has caused them to move their feet, to go from one place to another. They've left their homes and their lives and are traveling with this desire into the presence of God. The highways to God are ingrained upon their hearts, the psalmist says, such that they are drawn like monarch butterflies who migrate toward a place they have never been and to which they will likely never arrive as it takes up to five generations for them to make that journey. And yet still they are drawn as though their lives depend on it to that place. It is the same with the people of God and God's presence. They're on their way. And as they make their way on this long and difficult journey, we hear them pray that God would hear their prayers. They pray that God would take notice of their King, the Anointed One. And if they need to pray for God to take notice, to see them, to hear their prayers, it's safe to assume they at least think God is not hearing their prayers and not seeing them. Which means something is happening along this journey. They mention that they come to the valley of Baca. It's unclear what Baca means in Hebrew, but our best two guesses are weeping or dryness. This is a valley maybe of tears, of woe, of sadness and grief, or a valley of dryness and drought and thirst and oppressive heat. And yet even here, in the valley of drought and tears, their very presence, as those who seek to be with the Lord, makes springs to sprout out from the ground and rain water to gather in pools. And so they remember how much better it is to be with the Lord. That even one day spent in God's presence, even one day as a servant, as a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord, is better than thousands spent dwelling with the wicked. They remember that the Lord God is their sun and their shield, their light and life, and also their protection. That God bestows favor and honor, and that God withholds no good thing from those who seek to follow God and live in God's ways. And so while they make their journey, Even while they are still far from God's house, in any difficulty they encounter, they proclaim together this blessing. Happy is everyone who trusts in you, the living God. As we hear this psalm now, millennia away from its first writers and singers, there are various levels at which we can see these words and step into them together. And so, right now, I just want to look at three of those different ways that these words find their way into our lives. The first, and and indeed the reason why I picked this psalm for this week, is that this psalm speaks into the current reality of our lives. The fact that we're worshiping at home and not here together in the sanctuary. It's been four months March eight was the last time we gathered here together for worship. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, it faints, to be with you, to gather again in your house, to sing praises together with all God's faithful ones. Lord, we long to be here worshiping together. What's that old saying? Absence makes the heart grow fonder. This is great. I give thanks to God for the technology that makes this possible, that we can still worship together in some meaningful way while separated. But if I've learned anything during this season, it's that there's a huge difference between seeing and hearing someone and being present with them. Sunday morning, we're going to be celebrating communion together at 11 a.m. on Zoom. And that's infinitely better than nothing. But it's also nothing compared to actually gathering together here around Christ's table with one another to celebrate together the one body of Christ and one cup of Christ's blood shed for us. We're embodied creatures who are made to be in community with one another and videos and virtual meetings cannot replace that. One of my hopes in this season is that by being separated from one another, we would remember again our love, that this absence would grow such a deep desire within us to be together again that when we're able to return to worship, It would be like floodgates opening within us. There's a lot of churches that are rightly concerned that this long break in worship will be detrimental to attendance when we come back together again someday. That people will get out of the habit of coming to worship on Sunday mornings, that they'll have found other things to use that time, that they'll find some easier, thinner, cheaper, digital alternative to the demands of sitting in a worship space at a set time with other people to do the work of worshiping together. And I think there's some validity in that concern. But I also think that those who do genuinely love Christ, that what this time is doing is actually the opposite of that, that we are realizing how much the work of worshiping together nurtures and sustains us, that we are feeling our hearts yearn and our souls cry out to once more gather in the presence of God together. And if all that was bringing us to worship in the first place was just the habit of it, some sense of obligation, some simple spell that could be broken by a few weeks absence, then we probably weren't really there for the right reason in the first place. At one level, we can hear this psalm in the context of yearning to be together again after four months now of worshiping at home. And that desire is right and good And I am so excited that next week, July 19th, we'll be able to gather together outside for worship and be with one another again, even though it will look vastly different than what we've been used to. Don't mistake our slowness as a congregation to return to in-person worship for a lack of desire to be with you as the gathered people of God, worshiping as the body of Christ. We yearn to be together. We long for it in our souls, just like the pilgrims of Israel bubbling over with excitement as they draw near to the courts of the Lord in Jerusalem. That's the first level at which we hear these words this week. The second level at which we can hear these words from this psalm is having to do with our own spiritual journeys. It's a pilgrim psalm. And one of the tried and true ways in which the people of God have talked about being the people of God is through the metaphor of pilgrimage. Pilgrim's Progress, the great classic in the English language, is an allegory of the Christian life as a pilgrimage. Pilgrimage is a metaphor for our journey of faith. Journey, there's the metaphor again. Jesus says, follow me. We call ourselves followers of his. Which means we're on our way from somewhere to somewhere else. Eugene Peterson has a a classic and incredible book called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. And it's a book about the life of discipleship through the lens of the Pilgrim Psalms, Psalms 120 to 134. Our spiritual journey begins with a dissatisfaction with this world. And as we come to know Jesus and love him, we begin to yearn for him and then seek after him. We leave behind the world and its ways and seek to follow in the ways of Jesus and travel with him where he is going. This is a lifelong journey that takes us through the heights and the depths of this life, but what makes the whole journey possible is love, a desire, a yearning for Jesus. This psalm begins, "How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts." And in its first sentence, we catch the first clue of this: "How lovely. It's an adjective based on the verb to love. It's more often beloved, describing mostly people, not places or things. This is heart language, it's desire language. Beloved is your dwelling place. And what now is God's dwelling place? There is no temple in Jerusalem. God does not dwell in the Holy of Holies on the Temple Mount as the place where heaven and earth meet on our plane of existence. Where does God dwell? John says In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things came into being through him. Without him, not one thing came into being. And a little while later says, And the Word became flesh and dwelled among us. Tabernacled among us. Like that first house of worship Israel built in the wilderness. That's John 1. And the confession of Christians throughout the ages is that in Jesus, God came to dwell with us in this world. That Jesus is the new temple. The place in our plane of existence where heaven and earth meet. And indeed, how lovely, how beloved, how beautiful is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. The core of this life of Christianity, to this journey of faith, is love, is loving Jesus. That's the fountain from which all else springs. That's the key that makes this life possible. I believe that we are most fundamentally led around in this world, not by our thoughts or our reason, but by what we love. Not in the romantic sense, but in the deeper sense of of desire, as this deep, orienting force in our lives. Jesus understood it when he said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That what we love that what's in our hearts is what orients our lives and where we will place our treasure. So what do we love? Deep down, what do we desire and yearn for? The psalm proclaims the blessing, Happy are those in whose heart are the highways of God, the highways to Zion, Blessed are those whose orienting love of Jesus points them always toward God's kingdom, toward God's presence, whose love of Jesus places their feet in God's highways. It's that love of Jesus that draws us like birds in migration to seek out God's dwelling, to seek out Jesus in all the places where we find Him in this world, in Scripture, in prayer in the gathered body of Christ, coming together for worship, even if it's virtual, in baptism and in communion, in the face of the least among us, as we love and serve them. How lovely is your dwelling place. It's love, it's heart, it's desire and passion for Christ that leads us to set out on this spiritual journey we call the life of faith following after Jesus. That's the second layer at which we can hear these words this morning. And now here's the third and final one. This psalm can help us think about our ultimate journey to the new Jerusalem. We said a moment ago that the New Testament is pretty clear that Jesus is the new temple. And a day is coming when we believe Jesus will return again, when God will again dwell with his people, like it says in Revelation 21, when we won't even need lamp or sun because God will be in our presence and God's light will be enough for us. And when God comes and establishes God's kingdom, when heaven and earth are again brought together finally, I don't think it would be difficult for you to agree with me that it would be better to spend one day there than a thousand elsewhere. That it would be better to be simply a doorkeeper in the kingdom of God than to be a citizen among the wicked. That's where we're going. The new Jerusalem, the heavenly city, the one coming down like a bride adorned for her husband, We are moving toward the day when God will dwell with us, when God will will wipe every tear from our eyes, and mourning and crying and sadness and death will be no more, for these will all have passed away. God will establish God's justice. All will be made right in the world, and we will be made new and whole and beautiful. When Jesus says that he is the way, the only way to the Father and invites us to take up our cross and follow him in that way, this is where that way leads. This is the ultimate pilgrimage we are on as Christians. And that ultimate destination fixed in our hearts makes all the difference now. Because if you know where you're headed, you know what the next step is and what the next step is, and what the next step is. But not only does this imprint upon our hearts, and so guide each step, again, as the psalmist said, happy are those in whose heart are the highways to Zion. But this matters too, especially in the valley of Baca. Here in the valley of drought and tears, our eyes are fixed on Jesus, and on the heavenly city toward which we journey. And the psalmist says that this causes something extremely curious to happen. It's not just the promise that we'll make it through the valley, that we'll get to the other side somehow, some way, but that we will go from strength to strength if we place our strength in the Lord, and that we will see God in Zion, it promises. And most curiously, it says this they make it a place of springs. Did you catch that? That there's something about setting our hearts on Christ, setting our sights on the new Jerusalem, that as we find ourselves in the valley of drought and tears, and you will, That our very presence, as those who seek the Lord with all our heart and body and soul, makes springs bubble up from the ground, causes the earth to rain and to gather in pools. And I don't think those springs are meant just for us. I think that there is something about our calling, our vocation as Christians, Followers of Jesus in this world, that we are meant to be like oases in the desert, springs and rest and refreshment in a brutal, unjust, and angry world. What if we could be the kind of people that, as the world around us experienced our presence? they too would learn to cry out. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. And happy is everyone who trusts in you. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.